Kids have a wonderful time in the back. If you're remaining in with us, I would encourage you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read the entirety of 1 John chapter 1 this morning as we start off a series looking at these three letters from the Apostle John. If you're with us last week, we spent some time looking at John's vision of Jesus from Uh, The book of Revelation, we had to engage our imaginations as we thought through what John had written about this vision. Uh, Of course, if you remember, it happened while he was in the wilderness, when he was exiled uh, on the island of Patmos, and it was there that he received this amazing vision of God. He was reminded that God is in control of all things, that, that God dwells within the church, and that at the end of all things, God will wipe away all of our tears. What a beautiful picture. You have to imagine that after this, uh, John took this vision and all these visions that he got from the book of Revelation, he took these visions back to the churches to encourage them. And they had to be an amazing encouragement to a church that was facing all sorts of persecution at the hand of the Jews, at the hand of the Roman emperors as well. But even as John went back, he he didn't go back as some stranger or some authority that had no connection to these churches. Instead, what we know is John was in every way a dear pastor to each one of these churches. In fact, the end of John's life was spent pastoring several churches in the area of Asia Minor. Of course, you know the story of John the Apostle. He uh, was the youngest of all the apostles. Uh, He was with Jesus. He stayed with him. He ministered alongside of Jesus in his public ministry. And after Jesus ascended back into heaven, uh, the Apostle John stayed in the city of Jerusalem and led the church there, one of the leaders of the church, despite the fact that that church was under tremendous uh, persecution from the Roman emperors. Towards the end of his life, we learn that he had left Jerusalem and instead uh, was an itinerant pastor for several churches, the city of Ephesus being his home base. Now, where that trip to Patmos happened and when he received all those visions and how they related to his time as a pastor, uh, we don't really know for sure. But we do know that John was probably a pretty good pastor. And what we can tell is that he deeply loved these churches, each one of these churches. And you can tell that from his writings. As we'll read this morning and as we'll continue over the next couple weeks, these letters, they just drip with affection towards these churches that John pastored. He loved them, and that's why he wrote these three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend a couple weeks looking at these letters. We'll see the heart of a pastor, um, one who deeply loves his congregation and is concerned about them. Because of that love, it comes through as almost a, a, a pastoral or even a parental Concern, And so in the letters, he tackles some theological concerns, uh, some ethical concerns that had come up in the church because he wants them deeply to, to think Christianly and to act Christianly as well. Um, to do one without the other is really to not be in full touch with the message of the gospel. And so as we read throughout the next few weeks, we'll see there's theological concerns Um, There's social concerns, there are ethical concerns all throughout this letter, 
And that's because the gospel really changes everything about us. It doesn't just change our theology, but it changes our ethics. It changes the way we relate to other people. The gospel changes everything. So this morning I'm going to be read 1 John chapter 1, really the, first, uh, whole, the entirety of chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. This is God's Word. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of, of life. The life was made manifest, and we've seen it, testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the word is not in us. This is God's word. Father, thanks for John's pastoral heart that we see in these letters and what we will hopefully see over the next couple weeks. Thank you that this letter uh, drips with affection because of John's love for the church, but really it's only reflective of your deep love for us. Thanks that you speak to us in your word, and we pray that as we think about your scripture over the next few minutes, that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to see the the power of the gospel and to see how it changes everything about us. So visit us, Spirit, and change our hearts as a result. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. There's a story told about the Apostle John uh, later in his life, and we don't know whether it's actually true or not, but there's a story that's told about the Apostle John as uh, a pastor in his uh, church at Ephesus towards the end of his life, and it's actually Jerome that tells this story, and Jerome says that towards the end of John's life, he was so weak that his disciples had to carry him into the congregation. He had to rely on the arms of his disciples And he didn't have a whole lot of strength, and the only thing he was only able ever to say was this, little children love one another. Little children love one another. Now, his disciples after a while got a little wearied of this, and they said to John, they said, why on earth do you just say the same thing all the time when you come and visit us? And John replied, because it is the Lord's command, and if this is only done, it is enough. What a beautiful picture, whether that's true or not. If you read John's gospel and his letters here, you'll see that that concept of love, even that word love and its variations are used all over. John uses the word 55 times in his gospel. And of course, the most famous of those is John 3.16, for God so loved the world. 
that he gave his only begotten son. Then you come to his letters, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, which are significantly shorter than his gospel, and he mentions love here over 55 times. So love really is the theme of these letters. And part of that's because John knew that he was deeply loved by Jesus. The gospels point him out. They highlight him as one who is loved deeply by Jesus. Now, because of that, John then, in turn, deeply loved the churches he ministered to. He was their pastor who loved them deeply, and he deeply wanted them to deeply love one another. That's the theme that we're going to see throughout these letters. But because he loved them so much, he also wanted to protect them, and that meant at times he had to say hard things. We always have to say hard things at times to people whom we love. Part of their issue was they were not letting the love of Christ define their theology, their behavior, their relationships with one another, and so John wanted to write to them to correct some of these things. But there's some other things that are going on as well. What we know is there's some false teachers that had entered into these churches and were teaching certain things that were against the message of the gospel, and John wanted to correct those things as well. And he highlights a lot of them in our first chapter here, really in the second half. We learn that some were teaching that we could have fellowship with God and yet still walk in darkness. John writes about that in verses 6 to 7. Essentially, they were saying, you can have a relationship with God and then just live however you want. doesn't matter how you live. If you have a relationship with God, just live however you want. In a sense, they were divorcing their theology from their behavior, the way they live their lives. Some of these false teachers were beginning to deny that we as human beings are sinful. Read about that in verses 8 to 9. Or that, that somehow after we become Christians, we stop sinning entirely. And so John wanted to step in and correct that. And then finally we read verses 10 and really sneaks into chapter 2, verse 2, that some were just denying sin outright. And John says, if you're going to deny the reality of sin, then you're really calling God a liar. And so John is really tackling these issues. He wants to correct these false teachings that were creeping into the church, but he didn't just want to correct their thinking, right? That is certainly something he wants to do here, but he wants to correct more than just their thinking. Sometimes we fall into the temptation that we're just a bunch of brains, and if we just think correctly, then everything else will fall into place. But we as people are much deeper than that. We're, we are minds, but we are also, uh, we have wills, we have emotions, we have behavior, we think, we feel, and we act. All these things are sort of intricately woven into who we are as people. And so John doesn't want to just correct their thinking or their theology. He wants them to see that what they believe about God affects how they live, and ultimately, it affects how they love one another. Have you ever made that connection before? What you think about God affects the way you love others as well. It's the connection that John's trying to make here. And so as we think about these first few verses and really the theme of the whole book, we're going to keep coming up to three words that really represent three very important things. One is, is the gospel itself. Uh, the other is fellowship, which is a word that John uses consistently throughout his gospel. 
And then finally, what we see, and this is one of the things I love about John's letters, you find the word joy all over the place, the concept of joy. So let's start with John's idea of the gospel, the good news, and we re- he really re-articulates it in a very creative way in verses 1 to 2, where he says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the, that, the, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What John's really speaking about here is the, good, the, the gospel, and that word gospel literally means good news. It's news, which means principally it isn't just an ethic, it isn't just a concept, it isn't just advice or tips for living a good life, it's news. And because it is news, it is related in fact, and it is related in history, What I love about John's writing style here is he engages all of our senses as he talks about the gospel. Really, he's reflecting back on his own words. And if you go back to to John chapter 1 in the gospels, he's re-articulating this by speaking about Jesus as the word of life. And he says, we've heard from him, we saw him with our eyes. We touched him with our hands. Jesus, God incarnate, he lived amongst us and he dwelt with us. Now, this was probably very personal for John, who literally did live and minister alongside with Jesus for three years. He was there when Jesus turned uh, the, the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And imagine he had some of that wine, that heavenly wine to drink. He saw the crowd of 5,000 people be fed miraculously. He was probably one of those mouths that was also fed by Jesus' miracle. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus uh, revealed his glory for all to see. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus wept. He was likely at the foot of the cross when Jesus took his last breath. You can imagine that just three days later, John's heart burst with joy when Jesus rose from the dead. And of course, he was there as Jesus ascended back into heaven and left his disciples with the Great Commission. These are all things that John himself saw, things he touched, things he heard, things he felt in his heart. These were historic things. These were things that happened. And ever since then, John's passion, his heart, was to tell everybody he could about Jesus Christ. He proclaimed this good news of the gospel of Jesus everywhere he went. The gospel is Jesus Christ, the word of life manifest to to us. If you believe in him, you will have eternal life. In effect, saying that if somehow we lose Jesus in all of this, then we have lost the very heart of the gospel itself. Friends, the implication is clear for you and I. The gospel has to be the central tenant of our lives as well. We must never move past the gospel. We never mature past it or our need for it. We must always be rooting ourselves in the truth of this gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's why Martin Luther, I always use this quote because it's an important one. That's why Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, said, this truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, that we teach it to others, and we beat it into their heads continually. That's how important the gospel is. We need to even beat it into our own heads continually. That's what John's doing here. He's saying to these people who he dearly loved, never forget the truth of the gospel. Never forget it. Never let anyone or anything distract you from the news of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It is the central thing, the most important thing. But then he moves on to show us that the gospel also has fruit. It has an an outflow, and that's how it works out in that second word, which is fellowship, koinonia. He talks about this in verses 3 to 4. He says this in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that, don't miss the so that, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I want to think about that verse, but I want to look at it by starting at the end, working backwards. John here talks about a fellowship, a fellowship that they had all seen that existed between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. It was something that John witnessed firsthand as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you go back to the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus' main concern above anything else was that he accomplished the will of his Father in heaven. Remember his baptism when the sky ripped open and the dove comes from the, the heavens and there's a voice that comes from the Father that says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. You see that intimacy between the Father and the Son. We talked a couple weeks ago about Jesus in the desert and withstanding all the temptation from the devil. And he even throws it back to the devil saying, my job is to do the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see consistently throughout the Gospels that Jesus is always sort of stealing time away from the crowds. He's waking up early in the morning or he's staying up late at night. Why? Because he, he wants to pray to the Father. He wants to be in relationship with his Father in heaven. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, even through tears and through weeping, accepts the will of the Father, even though that meant he would need to suffer on the cross. And I believe, and I've said this before, that the pain on the cross was most severe for Jesus, not because it was physically painful. It was most severe because he was cut off from his fellowship with God the Father. And so time and time again, you see this amazing intimacy between Jesus the Son and Jesus the Father. And so John here reminds us of that intimacy, and he tells us something amazing. He's essentially saying, you know that intimacy between God the Father and God the Son? Guess what? We get to participate in that fellowship. The Father loves you and I, his children, with the same intensity with which he loves his son, Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a minute. The father loves us with the same intensity with which he loves his son. And that fellowship, what it does is it binds us to God and 
It should bind us to one another. That's John's point here. This is the fruit of the gospel. It binds us into fellowship with God. It binds us into fellowship and love with one another. And so the bond that Christians bear with God and with each other should be the defining principle of our experience as followers of Jesus Christ. That fellowship should be the defining Christian experience. I read a couple weeks ago, there's a a well-known pastor in Florida uh, named uh, H.B. Charles Jr., and uh, he's a very well-known preacher. I think he's got thousands of folks in his congregation, and he's sort of a celebrity pastor. And uh, He um, found, I don't know, in his studies or whatever, but he found an old historic document from uh, the old African-American churches in his area, and the, the document is entitled Church F Etiquette. And I don't know whether this was posted in some church or whatever it was, but it's all these rules on church etiquette, and I got a kick out of reading this. The first rule probably is the most important, and that is you should come, right? Number one is come, exclamation point. Number two is come early. I thought this was, this was uh, humorous. Come early. Rushing into the church the last minute is not conducive to true worship. We've all been there before, right? Rushing, rushing into church the last minute. He writes this, never rush for the door after the benediction as though the church were on fire. He writes, speak and be spoken to. And number four, never stray away from the church because the church is not perfect. You've heard that before. The church is imperfect, so I stray away from it. He says, never do that. How lonesome you would feel if you were in a perfect church, which I think is a great point as well. Now, what's the point? This is not trying to be legalistic, but he is trying to make a point here, and that is all these things deal with fellowship amongst one another. That's what the church ought to be, an essential component of what it means to follow Jesus. We have fellowship with God the Father, and that translates into love and fellowship with one another. So the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. He's come to bring life. The gospel works itself out into fellowship with God and to fellowship with one another. But there's one last thing we see through this passage and through all of John's letters, and that is that that gospel, that fellowship, it brings something. It brings great joy. Verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In another place, John says, so that your joy may be full. Think of that cup that's overflowing. He's saying that's who you are, Christian, one filled with joy. Joy, writes John Calvin, is the complete and perfect felicity with which we obtain from the gospel. What a beautiful thing. As I thought about joy this week, I thought about two things that, that, at least in my own life, were particularly joyful, that brought moments of great joy. I thought of the birth of my children and how much joy um, that brought, and in particular, the birth of of some of my younger children, one of the fun things that we get to do is when you, you get, that, get to hold that baby for the very first time, and if you've got a bunch of kids like I do, you get to bring the older kids in, and they get to hold their younger siblings. And we've got pictures of our older kids uh, holding their younger siblings, and the joy that is on their face holding their younger sibling is just beautiful. They're welcoming them into the fellowship of a family. So anytime there's a birth of a child, there's great joy. But I also thought about um, weddings. 
right? And weddings, while, while the birth of a child is a bit more pub, a private, uh, a wedding is this sort of public experience of joy. And I've had the privilege of going to weddings, um, but I also have had the privilege of being up front as a pastor and marrying people. And I know how much stress goes into the planning of the wedding for months and months and months and months, but how joyful it is in that moment when a bride comes from the rear of the church and the groom is there beholding his bride for the first time and how much joy that moment really is. Again, it's joy at the initiation of a new fellowship. Both cases, fellowship brings about great joy. Friends, that's what the gospel is about. It's what fellowship with God and one another brings about. It brings about a fullness of joy. And that's a joy that is very hard for the world around us to understand. It's not happiness. Happiness is very circumstantial. It's joy. It's something that is deep and abiding in us that is uh, independent of the circumstances in which we are going. Think about John's audience. They were being deeply persecuted deeply persecuted. They never knew at any moment whether they could be arrested and martyred for following Jesus, and yet their joy is unparalleled. Why is that? How could that be? It's because they believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, because they had fellowship one with another, and the byproduct of all of it was joy that was unspeakable and joy that was hard to understand from the outside looking in. Friends, the gospel points us to Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, John writes here. He's faithful to forgive us, to cleanse us from unrighteousness, he writes here in our passage. In that moment, we are invited into the embodiment of love itself, the fellowship of the Father with the Son. And you and I then are called, just like John, to proclaim this gospel, to practice love and fellowship with one another, and to experience the result of all of it, which is great joy. Let's pray.